Hey everyone, welcome to the latest episode of our Economics and Business podcast. I'm Vianna Skabrin, a senior associate in our economics team, and I'll be your host for the next few episodes. The focus of today uh, will be on the 10th Women in Work report, which was released earlier this year. And it's based on our annual index of five indicators, which measure women's labor market outcomes. In light of the United Nations Climate Change Conference, COP27, and PwC's global strategy, The New Equation, the findings of this report are more important now than ever. Action on net zero is a central tenet of governments, businesses, and policymakers around the world. But we're interested to know what are the implications for women in the workplace? What lessons have we learned from COVID-19 that we could carry forward so that we can make sure all women, especially those from ethnic minorities, are better placed for the transition to net zero? To explore these key themes, we're very lucky to be joined in the virtual studio by Priyanka Kanani, a manager in sustainability and climate change team, and Divya Shridal, a senior associate in our economics team, specializing in net zero and social value. Welcome to you both. Hey, thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to have you both here today. Thank you so much for joining. Right, so before we dive into the broad implications of the report in terms of net zero and ESG, it's important to consider the impact of COVID-19 on women in work, as there are some very important lessons to be learned. This year, for the first time in its history, the Women in Work Index actually fell after a decade of slow but steady improvement in women's employment outcomes. So progress towards gender equality in work was actually set back by at least two years across the 33 organizations for economic cooperation and development, also known by most people as the OECD countries. This happened because women's employment losses during the pandemic were relatively worse than men's. And this was seen through higher female unemployment rates and lower female labor market participation in 2020. So given all this, Priyanka, it would be superb to hear your reflections on whether COVID-19 impacted all the women in the same way, or if you actually observed any differences in the data. COVID-19 impacted women at work in different ways. And from our research, we found that some specific groups, such as women with childcare responsibilities and women from ethnic minority groups were more severely affected than others. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'd be keen to hear what you found for each of those groups, Priyanka. And to start, maybe you can tell me a bit more about women with childcare responsibilities. Yeah, sure, happy to. So in our report, we talk about women raising children paying what we call a motherhood penalty. Now, this is essentially the idea that having childcare responsibilities has led to underemployment, slower career progression and lower lifetime earnings. This is driven by the long-standing structural inequality around the unequal burden of unpaid care. Women's unpaid care and domestic work is worth more than 10 trillion US dollars each year to the global economy, which is more than a tenth of the world's GDP. But of course, this is not recognized in formal measures of the size of the economy. Wow, okay. And that's such an important point you made there on the motherhood penalty. Keen to explore on that a little bit more. Um, how did you see that, Priyanka, reflected in the data itself? The data shows us that the unemployment gap opens between men and women once the first child is born. 
So on average, women's employment rates drop significantly, whereas men stay relatively constant. Now, this makes sense in the short term, as we know women tend to take more time out of work on maternity leave. However, this gap persists over time. This is because women with childcare responsibilities often take on part-time roles and or lower quality, less secure work, leading to occupational downgrading. But what's stark to note in the data is that by the time a child is 20 years old, women are still unlikely to have caught up with men. There was a study done of six OECD countries that showed us that women in the long run earn between 21 to 61% less than what they earned before having a child, whereas men's earnings were largely unaffected by parenthood. So all of this shows that this has long lasting intergenerational effects, resulting in lower lifetime earnings, contributing to a persistent gender pay gap, lower pensions and associated high rates of poverty and economic insecurity, especially for single women over retirement age. And what you're describing there feels very real and very close to home for many of us women. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have also observed this too in their workplaces, particularly you know, when it came to homeschooling, different caring commitments um, that we observed during COVID. I can imagine also that the trends you describe worsened during the pandemic. Yeah, unfortunately, COVID-19 has exacerbated the unequal burden of unpaid childcare for women. Before the pandemic, women across the globe spent an average of 26 hours per week on childcare alone, compared to 20 hours for men. This increased over COVID due to school closures, where women ended up spending 31 hours a week on average, which is why it's known as the second shift. The increased burden of unpaid childcare has led to large numbers of women dropping out of the workforce during the pandemic, which has negative impacts on businesses in terms of productivity and quality of work. Mothers of children under 12 were over three percentage points more likely to have left employment than fathers of children under 12 between Q1 and Q3 of 2020, in comparison to those who did not have children under 12, where the gap between men and women was negligible. Yeah, those figures are really striking, aren't they? They really highlight the scale of the issue and I don't know, they put things into perspective, I guess. So much more could be done to address these challenges, you know, pulling public policy levers, becoming a better employer, even just an understanding colleague, friend, family member. I think we all really do have a role to play. Right, so we've spoken quite in quite a lot of detail about the impact of mothers, but what about the second group we briefly touched on earlier? What are the findings when we add that dimension of ethnicity? When examining the data on employment outcomes in the UK, women from ethnic minorities are worse off than both white men and white women in terms of pay and employment levels. It is striking that on average, women from ethnic minority groups are still more than a decade behind white women in terms of unemployment figures, and are proportionately more worse off now than they were in 2011 compared to white women. During the pandemic, the disparities in employment outcomes and pay widened between women from ethnic minority groups compared to white men and women, as well as men from ethnic minority groups. We touched more on this topic in our Business and Focus podcast, which delves more into the findings in this area. So I would highly encourage everyone to listen to that. So we've discussed how we went into COVID-19 in a situation where women were already disadvantaged in terms of job securities, social equalities, and more. The existing disparities actually really widened. 
But looking into the future, is there any hope? And what can we do to make sure that women are better placed for any future changes and shocks to labour markets and the economy? Um, and Divya, I think I'd love to hear from you on this topic. So as we recover from the pandemic, one of the most significant forces shaping labour markets today and in the future is, of course, the climate crisis and the steps that are being taken to achieve net zero emissions across the globe. So, for example, here in the UK, the government has committed to achieving net zero emissions by 2050 with an interim target of ending all sales of new petrol and diesel cars by 2030. So given that this movement is already driving changes and will continue to drive key changes in the labour market going forward, there's an urgent need to act now and deliver gender inclusive policies as we accelerate our actions to address the climate crisis. Agreed, Divya. Um, the net zero transition is definitely on everyone's minds, be it policymakers, businesses, households, all of us. I guess the first question is, do we know what type of workers will benefit from the transition and where do women sit in the spectrum? Yeah, so if we look at the transition that's currently underway and will continue to happen, the changes in the way we produce and consume energy will be one of the key changes. So if we focus on just the energy sector's transition to net zero across the OECD, we find that the jobs created as a result of these changes will be concentrated in a few industries. And these include utilities, construction and manufacturing. So, for example, new jobs may be created for wind turbine engineers or solar panel technicians. And therefore, it's, it will be the workers that are equipped with these skills and the experience to work in these sectors who will be able to benefit from these new jobs. And they will be the ones that are best placed to take up these new jobs. And as it currently stands across the OECD countries, these sectors are male dominated which means that the majority of workers in these sectors are currently men. So therefore, men automatically stand to gain more than women in labour market outcomes from this transition to net zero. So to put that into perspective, for example, in construction, we expect men to take up nearly six times more of the newly created jobs than women. While in utilities and manufacturing, men can expect to get twice as many of the new jobs compared to women. That's really interesting. Well, more than interesting, it's actually very, very concerning. Why is this the case? So I'd say there are two sides to it. Um, perceptions around what a green job is, but also the lack of skills to be able to do one. So last year we did a future of government survey in the UK, and that revealed that women are already feeling less prepared to take up green jobs compared to men, both due to lack of awareness, but also the lack of relevant skills. So, for example, our survey showed us that only a fifth of women respondents said that they were aware of what green job opportunities were out there and that they had the skills needed for it. And this compared to a third of men who were surveyed. And when we look at the current gender split across occupations as well, it's a similar story to what we found with industries. So our analysis shows that occupations such as assemblers and building and electrical trade workers are likely to see the largest growth in jobs as a result of the transition to net zero. And currently these occupations are male dominated across the OECD. So this just means that as a result of experience and current positioning in the economy, women will automatically become less likely to be able to take up the new green jobs that the transition brings. And could this mean that if we don't take the right adequate action and the net zero transition might actually result in another step back from achieving gender equality in the workplace 
like we know COVID-19 has pretty much already caused this so it would really surely be a double blow if it were to happen again. Yeah, unfortunately, that's exactly the case. So if we look at the current state as of 2020, there were around 21% more men employed compared to women across the OECD. And our analysis shows that if nothing is done to encourage more women to enter sectors where the net zero transition will likely create new jobs, then by 2030, this gap is expected to widen by a further 0.5 percentage points. And, you know, while that might sound like a tiny increment, when we consider that this 0.5 percentage points is actually a proportion of the total number of women currently employed across the OECD, we can see that the absolute number and the absolute widening of the gap is quite huge. Yeah, I see. I guess my burning question, given I'm a problem solver by nature, is what can we do about this? So what can be done by governments, businesses to actually prevent this from happening? So I think upskilling is really at the heart of it. So governments should identify barriers that women face when entering green jobs and incorporate this into their policy solutions. So for example, it could be the case that historically, female students have been less inclined to specialize in STEM subjects right from a school going age. So encouraging greater uptake of these subjects from a young age might help fill these skills gaps later on. Employers should also invest in training and mentorship programs that support workers to upskill in these areas. Tackling gaps in skills now is fundamental to ensuring that women and other minority groups are not left behind as we move forward towards a net zero future. Great points there, Divya. I honestly wish we could discuss this for hours, um, but I do think that's all we probably have time for in this episode. Um, I'm glad we've ended it on a hopeful note with actions that we can be taking to address some of these challenges. Um, but before we wrap up I'm keen to just ask you guys one closing question um, to reward our lovely lovely listeners who have stayed till the end so if you could summarize in one sentence the key point you would want listeners to take away from today's episode what would it be and uh, let's start with you Divya sure so for me I'd say when we enter the pandemic women were at a disadvantage because of the types of jobs that they were currently in. And we found that this had hugely disproportionate impacts. So we need to make sure that we take the necessary steps going forward. So when the next big change comes around, for example, the change to a net zero world, this isn't repeated again. Brilliant, thanks Divya. And Priyanka, a sentence from you. So for me, I think the main point would be that there is a role to be played by everyone. Governments need to provide the right enabling environment through gender inclusive policies, but businesses can also lead the way to make the workplace a better and more inclusive place for women. Great. Thank you so much to our wonderful guests, Brianka and Divya. It's been absolutely fantastic to have you on here. And thank you to all of our listeners. If you'd like to read this brilliant report in more detail, um, you can just search PwC Women in Work Index 2022 on Google and you should find it. You can also listen to our other Business in Focus podcast titled The Impact of COVID-19 on Women in Work. And that discusses women in work, but through a slightly different lens, as Priyanka mentioned earlier. So, yeah, be sure to give that a listen if you haven't already. And of course, if you like this podcast, please make sure to subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and get notified of future episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm.